episodes. We've gotten rid of Sean Barton, and now the time is mine. You can't be number five when you're number one on the call sheet. It's the year of K-Award. Episode 149 on. The next three years of the comics, pals. It's under new leadership. You're tuned in to episode 149 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book friends and journalists who record a podcast together because we don't talk about comics enough in our daily lives. Oh, man, you went for the classic, huh? I, I mean, if the formula is good enough, you know, you might as well use what he set up. Oh, man, I, I went for it last time, I think. I like did like a like I tried to do like a soft read throw of it, totally botched it. Filth put me on blast for it. It was bad. Oh, listen, <laughs> I have been plotting and planning my eventual <laughs> takeover for about three years now, and um, it's uh, it's finally happened. Well, I got to say, Kale, first of all, welcome back. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Second of, second of all, I appreciate that in this new world order, I am the only one who made the cut. It's an honor and a privilege. I would like to address that the, to to this empty room. <laughs> hey, what the fuck? <laughs> I spent two months planning a takeover, and you can't even be bothered to show up. A new world order, and nobody gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the on the bright side, like, if there was only one of us, at least it was me who, with my volume, it gives the illusion of a much bigger following behind your coup. Man, I guess. <laughs> I like I like the ones that are gone better though. All right, well, <laughs> have you have you seen? Uh, have you seen Don't look new, a gift horse in the mouth, Kale. <laughs> have you seen the new uh, Shira? No, I haven't yet. I've heard it's good though. It's very good. Um, uh, the main sort of personal antagonist for Shira and Adora is uh, Katra, and they're best friends, and they grew up in the in you know the bad guy camp together or whatever and um mm. so she she eventually becomes the the leader of of the the bad guys and then she's uh overthrown but the whole time she has this sort of plucky big burly always positive kind of loud uh sidekick <laughs> called scorpia pete scorpia is in the analogy is what uh, i hope that's a good thing <laughs> it's not a bad thing you're clearly in love with me but i can't return your feelings well, okay. Couldn't if I wanted to. Um, <laughs> let's get into Pals Pulls. Pete, you have uh, Crowded Number 9. Yeah, uh, so Crowded's a book we've talked about a few times. Um, we have had Chris Sabella and um, as well as the, uh, oh, who's the writer? As um, <clears throat> as well as the uh, the art team, um, Ted and Roe, on mm. both each multiple times. Great episodes, great interviews. Uh, we're big fans of the book and of their work. So uh, if you're not checking out Crowded yet, it's one of my favorite books being published right now. Um, really, really high quality comedy and, um, you know, great art, excellent writing. And uh, it's, it's just a fun, fun ride, you know? It's, it's definitely like a book that both feels like it has stakes and is like, worth being engaged in because you want to see where it's going next but it's also 
like light enough that it's like a it's a fun like buddy cop kind of comedy vibe as well. So I think you know if if you're looking for something like that that's got depth but also isn't like heavy to the point of being depressing, like Crowded is a perfect book to slide in there. Mm, hard agree, and that uh, that art team is Ted Brandt uh, on inks and Roe Stein on the pencils. Sorry, yeah, I just said Ted and Roe. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Definitely go check out those interviews if you haven't before. Good uh, and, and do that, please. Doomsday Clock number 11 by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Real excited for this one to come back. Uh, Doomsday Clock has been, been a treat, uh, but I, especially near the end here, I'm definitely getting, um, I'm starting to feel the delays, you know? Yeah. Like, yep. I, I'm 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 really ready for for the exciting conclusion, and not because I want the book to be over, but because we're so close to the end at this point that it's like I'm ready to know. You know, I've I've been on the hook long enough, and I I want to see I want to see if they land the plane as well as I think that they're going to. You know, um, and I I really do think it's been a, a consi- really consistently enjoyable ride throughout. It was my favorite book last year. And um, I'm I'm really excited to see it come to a close. So um, issue eleven, we got two more to go. Well, the, the thing for me, and I, I've just been thinking about this. So the Justice Society and all the Golden Age heroes just came back this week in Justice League, I think number thirty. Um, and that was one of the the long awaited plot threads in Doomsday Clock, supposedly. So. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of like, well, what was the point then? <laughs> yeah, it it feels like the delay kind of undercut that moment yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and so much has happened. But you know, so much has happened in DC, also sort of politically and like in in the offices and stuff, and all you know, all the editorial uh, chair moving um, that I. Like I'm not surprised at the delays, and frankly, I don't, I don't necessarily blame the de- the delays on that. But I, I guess I, I I wonder what we're gonna see and if it has affected it. I I doubt that it's affected the actual quality of this book in any significant way, just because it's been in the works for so long, and like I think the the plotting of it has probably been done. For a while and if you think about where this book was when it started in terms of or where dc was i guess when this book started would maybe be a better way to phrase that um it was a different time and place and i think dc looked a little bit different from our you know perspective uh but i i don't think that i don't think that that's gonna matter too much because at the end of the day like i don't think editorial is gonna try and get in the way of this book because it's you know it's got two of their you know, biggest talents working on it. And it's been largely successful, you know? Um, so I think, I think, I think I, I'd like to think anyway, that this book is going to be safe from those bigger powers that be just because it, it does also kind of exist in its own little bubble, you know, like it does connect to the broader DC continued or continuity, but um, oh, damn. at the you. same time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have um, been gone a long time, <laughs> but yeah. So I, I'm 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 remaining optimistic about it. I think it's going to be good. 
Your last pick of the week was the same as mine, House of X number four. Yes. So uh, obviously we're going to be talking about House of X 3 in our review this week, uh, as well as Marvel uh, number 1000. But I am so in on this ride. You know, like like I said, if if Doomsday Clock was my favorite last year, what Hickman's doing with the X-Men is my favorite comic this year. Uh, by a country mile. And I see yeah. you nodding along, yeah. but I'm saying, Kale, you haven't gotten to talk about any of this. No. The last time that you and I chatted, you were like, oh, like, are, we're reviewing this on the show, right? So I have to read all this and catch up. And you were like trying to figure out the reading list. So w- w- what's your, oh. we'll talk about it more in the review, but w- what's your like overall take so far? What are you thinking about it? I, man, I f- fucking love it. Uh, at first I was, I'm I felt so super glad to hear you say that. I, at first I felt super lost. Um, because I haven't read an X-Men title in forever. Um, but I was into it, you know, I was kind of following along, in, you know, from, from the first issue. I think it was House of X that came first. Um, yeah. If you're following along, you know this happened already, and it was four weeks ago or something. The last panel of the first page where where they're in, I, it's not even a spoiler, it's just like, so they're in Jerusalem, the place, you know, where Jesus died, <laughs> and, and Magne- Magneto goes. I know how you humans love symbolism. We're <laughs> your new gods now, and I went, "Yeah, oh fuck!" <laughs> like that's the kind of storytelling I am here for. Where has this been? Yeah, I, I, I. It's funny because. I, not to say that it's rare that we all like a book, but I think it's rare that everybody is this high on a book, you yeah. know? And I, I, I don't know, man. I, um, I am so on the train for this book, you yeah. know, like across the board, it is un- unbelievable the quality that's being turned out, you know, like it's the writing is phenomenal. The symbolism is phenomenal. The art is next level. And the fact that Hickman is able to juggle the present day storyline while also telling us stories in the past and the future and the far future. And it all works and like actually makes each other better. Yeah. You know, like, and builds off what's done in each issue. Like each issue has purpose and, and, it's 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 just incredible it's really been a a supremely enjoyable ride and if you're not reading these books for whatever reason like just get on it like even even if you're like a trade like go read this book like you got to be a part of it right now and it's week to week it's so it's been amazing being able to just i know you just caught up but like for us you know like i've been reading since the beginning and every week there's this new installment and i'm so excited for it every saturday morning because I read it right before the show and then come in hot, like, let's go. I'm ready to talk about this. I'm buzzing on it. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I'll also say Cyclops' new suit, I'm into it. It's cool. It's a good look. Uh, my picks for the week are, let me find them, Legion of Superheroes Millennium Number 1 uh, from Brian Michael Bendis, Jim Lee, Andre, Andrea Sorrentino, Andre, Andre Lima, Andre Lima Araujo. Oh, man, this is the part of the show where Kale screws up somebody's name. <laughs> You'd think 
you'd think in in my new world order I'd get rid of that segment, but I can't. <laughs> uh, Andre Lima Araujo Araujo. I'm so sorry, Andre. And Dustin Nguyen. That's um, Nguyen. Nguyen. Are you sure? Oh no! Wait. I think it's Nguyen. No, no, no! You're right. It is Nguyen. Anyway, uh, Legion of Superheroes is coming back. Um, I'm very, very pumped about this. There was a time when they were the X-Men of DC, and then the title kind of passed to um, the te- the new Teen Titans. And I am desperate for new, good Legion of Superheroes content. I don't know if it's going to come with Bendis, uh, but I'm very, I'm very excited about it. There, there's a chance for it to be a good thing, even if this isn't the run that gives you what you want. Because even if Bendis's run is whatever, if a Bendis Lee run sells a lot of money, they'll pick it or up. Makes with a lot of better. money, I guess. It could renew interest in the brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I know I I haven't been following Event Leviathan. I know we we started pretty hyped out on it, but I I know uh, it's been pretty flat. Dude, I, I am so not into that book anymore. When we reviewed issue three, I it was just like so all of us just so unenthused you know and sean wasn't there to be the one being like well you know like i'm so but it's like no i don't like this i want to talk about house of x (laughs) or powers of whatever it was that you know powers of 10 that week um i just i can't reading those two those events back to back like illustrates exactly what's wrong with event leviathan and what was wrong with um heroes in crisis you know and like what hickman's getting right by comparison yeah i'm not looking forward to having to catch up with um event leviathan i was tell you what though really excited to review both how uh i guess it's powers next week powers and um and doomsday clock that's gonna be a fun week yeah that's true that that's next week oh that's gonna be crazy that's stacked but yeah man i'm glad i'm happy for you i know i know the legion is like a big thing i know you're a huge fan so i hope this is uh the return that that you're hoping for yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I managed I managed to pick up one of the uh, one of the first Legion books I ever read when I was a kid. Um, oh, I found awesome. it in a comic shop in uh, Lubbock, and nice. it had one of my favorite plot points um, that I have no idea how it ended because it, it's not in this book. So, <laughs> uh, you gotta find it, man. Lightning Lad gets transported into Element Lad's body, but. The twist there is Element Lad has just betrayed the team and oh fuck ends up I, I think he ends up like killing half the team or something and so nobody believes he's Lightning Lad choice that's really cool that's a good twist uh, but I don't know how it ends so um, no spoilers for that 20 year old book um, another comic worth mentioning for next week, it's not on either of our pull list, and I don't think it's the kind of thing either of us would really read. Um, Spawn three hundred. Yeah, I um, Spawn Spawn has like a a place in my heart. I wouldn't say that it's a special place, but when I was a um, like an edgy teenager who was like getting back into comics, I definitely liked Spawn. 
you know, he was one of the first, like, non-Marvel DC comics that I was, like, familiar with, you know, because there was the movie and the HBO series that were around when we were growing up. I remember I played Spawn Armageddon on the Xbox, you know, like, Spawn was cool when I was, like, 13 to, like, maybe even 16, you know, um, but... As an adult, I don't have any resonate, you know, I don't resonate with that brand and with that brand and like edgy stuff like that hasn't really appealed to me in a, in a long time. So um, I, over, over, um, geez, it might've been last summer. I know I was in England when I did this. I, um, I knew the, the, there's a big anniversary or something coming up with Spawn, I think it was Spawn and Cerebus. Um, okay, I think they're both the longest running, uh, longest running titles by their original authors or, or something. Spawn doesn't fit in that category because it hasn't always been written by McFarlane. I know other people have had runs on the the main book. Or something. You might be thinking of Savage Dragon. I think Savage Dragon holds that title. No, it's it's, it's specifically been. Spawn. I, I don't I don't quite remember okay. what it was. But anyway, I was researching researching both, um, and um, so I read a ton of Spawn. I read like the uh, three. They have I, have I read everything that Comicsology Unlimited had, and it was like three giant uh, like omnibuses of Spawn. And at the time, I, it was, I think it was all done by McFarlane, too. <laughs> I mean, he wrote it for several years, I think, uninterrupted. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think I think there are, there's a, a Gaiman issue, a Moore issue, and a Morrison issue in there. That's awesome. Uh, but it's like, I think it's like, they're each one issue, and it doesn't pick anything up. And I just got to a point where I was like, this started out pretty cool, but now it sucks. <laughs> um, so I appreciate Spawn. Uh, congratulations, Todd McFarlane. I don't think I'll be picking this up, but no, I'm, gla- yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, it, I'm glad it's here. I have the same feeling about this as when like they did Spawn 250, and it was like a big thing, and it's like great. Like I. For the people that love Spawn, that's great. And I had a period where I I also had affection for the character, so mm-hmm. you know, God bless. Pump. And I love Todd McFarlane. He does, he, you know, he's done some really cool work. So pumped it's happening. Not for me. <laughs> not for us. <laughs> All right. Speaking of things not for us, uh, let's get into the news. A new Flash director has been confirmed again. <laughs> again. Director Andy Muschietti. Director Andy Muschietti has confirmed that he will be taking the reins on the Flash solo film uh, for Warner Brothers once he's finished with It Chapter 2. He said, and I quote, Yup. Unquote. (laughs) Yup! (laughs) (laughs) Alright, cool. Uh, He also said this in an interview with Fandango. He said, what captivated me about The Flash is the human drama in it. The human feelings and emotions that play in the drama of it. It's going to be fun, too. I can't promise that there will be any horror elements in it, uh, but it's a beautiful human story. This is potentially exciting news if he actually sticks around on the project, right? 
Yeah, that's the thing. Because um, Muschietti obviously like did great work with it. I haven't seen part two. I've heard it's good, but not as good as the part one, which that makes sense. Um, but I mean, that's a, a clear example of him being capable of doing a Hollywood blockbuster level movie on probably a much smaller budget. So to think that he could come through and do something meaningful um, and interesting with Flash, I think totally seems likely. So, um, you know, I'm interested in a solo Flash movie. I I liked Ezra Miller as Flash in Justice League, despite the fact that Justice League was, you know, overall a a weak movie. Um, I think there were some choices that they made that didn't necessarily land, but in the same breath, I I think there were a few moments that did work pretty well. So I think similar to, um, similar to how I feel about, uh, what's his name? Who plays Henry Cavill with Superman. Like, I feel like it's more an issue of the script and the direction of the films they were in than with their actual performances as the character. So if we can get a talented director with a decent script, you know, I'd be down to give Ezra Miller another shot as Flash and and see what he can what he can do and if he can shine. You know, I don't know that it's going to be good, but this this gives me hope that it could actually come together because I know that this guy is capable of making a film that I enjoy. That's fair. I uh, didn't like Ezra Miller's Flash. Um, I'm a Grant Gustin Flashhead from the TV show. Um, I like his portrayal a lot better. Uh, but I like the flash a lot more than I hate Ezra Miller and, and, or I hate far too strong a word. I, I like the flash more a lot than more you than disliked I, his performance. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one thing I think is also interesting as far as I'm aware, this is still the version that's supposed to be co-written by Ezra Miller and Grant Morrison. Which, that's another definite, like, thing that I would say is in its favor, right? Because, again, like, a good script only gets you so far, you know? Um, like, it's, uh, scripts, like, once they're written, go through a lot of hands, you know? So, like, but again, a good script with the right director and an actor capable of a good leading performance is really all you need to make a good movie. And I think regardless of how you felt about how he landed in justice league, I think Ezra Miller is capable of a good performance. And you know, that again, with, with, with somebody like, you know, uh, him and Grant working on the script like that, we could get that voice that you're looking for. I think instead of the, the character we got in justice league, like felt very muddled because he was written by two people with like very different views of how he should be portrayed. And I, I, you know, I think, I think none of those things did him any favors, right? Like I didn't love the idea of him as like the kind of, um, I don't know, like, I guess like, like weird spastic hacker kind of thing. But like, I think like there are a couple moments like the, like the race with him and Superman and everything like that. Or when, you know, where, where I saw a performance um, that felt like what I wanted. So, you know, optimistic, but skeptical because these movies rarely come together. 
the especially best of them are, are still have a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, especially especially at this point. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do think they've been on an upward trend. So maybe this is another chance for a good one. I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, in more DC news, Nathan Fillion has been cast in Suicide Squad. Uh, no one knows who he's going to be yet, but he's done a ton of DC characters before. Uh, notably, Green Lantern is the, the big one. Um, and th- that's been uh, mostly in the animated stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is cool. I can't imagine they'll put Green Lantern in uh, a feature film that isn't his own movie. Uh, but uh, weirder things have happened, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's not impossible. But I don't know. He's also like a little older now. So I don't know that they're necessarily going to want to have him be Green Lantern. Um, I think as much as people probably want to see Nathan Fillion play a hero, like he's in his 50s now, right? Is he? I, he's older. I definitely think he's in his like late forties. Late forties for sure. Yeah, and that's kind of when you know actors generally start to pivot away from the action roles because it's a bitch to stay in shape like that. You know, so the idea of him being like, I don't think it's impossible for him to play a hero, but I think it's more likely that we might see him like maybe he'll play like Rick Flag. That's that I think is my hope. I think he'll be uh, a suit. Yeah, which is uh, cool. I mean, I like Nathan Fillion. I think he's a super likable actor, and yeah, he, yeah, he has a lot of range. You know, he's good at. Um, obviously, he's a good leading man. He's you know there are no shortage of roles uh, where you can think of him as the gallant hero or whatever. But um, yeah. have you ever seen Doctor Horrible's sing along blog? <clears throat> you know what's funny. I was going to use that as my reference for my villain takeover here. Holy shit. You want, you think he's going to play a villain? <laughs> no, 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 no. As my villain, as my villain takeover, I'm Dr. Oh, 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 okay. You are, you do have Dr. Horrible energy. I could see yeah. that. Yeah. Um, the, the oh, Nathan a, Fillion. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. <laughs> Nathan Fillion plays a, a dumb uh, superhero who's a big asshole, Captain Hen- captain hammer yeah and uh, you know i think i think he's good at kind of anything so if they want him to play an antagonist i think that could totally land in the same way that michael keaton did uh in as the vulture um but if they want him to be you know a hero or something like that or a suit in the background who's you know supposed to be the likable pov character for us like i think those are things that could totally work and obviously i'm excited for this movie because james gunn is attached so the idea of the two of them getting to work together, considering that, you know, James Gunn is good at doing things that are funny and, and ha- like are goofy and have levity. And like, that's right where Nathan Fillion lives is action sci-fi, but also with a, a little bit of a humorous bend. Seems like a match made in heaven. A uh, bunch of rumors going around this week that Taika Waititi is going to be in it too. I did see that, which is um, another really interesting one. Yeah, yeah. He he apparently was in the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern film. Really? I, I don't remember that. Yeah. He was uh, Tom Kalamaku, who I think is... I, I didn't see the film, but as I recall from uh, the comics, he, he's like Hal's best friend and like mechanic or something. 
I'm going to be honest with you, man. I don't remember anything about that movie. I went to see it. I saw it in theaters and just was like, bad. Uh, that was, that was this, I believe it was the summer that Thor, Thor and Captain America came out, I think. And so that was, that was my oh, very right, first right. time in Europe. Oh, really? And so I didn't see any of those movies. <laughs> uh, the only thing I saw was, I think Winnie the Pooh. That's ridiculous. Maybe, maybe Kung Fu Panda if it came out that summer. My God. <laughs> I just, I... I was in a spot where I just couldn't handle a superhero movie. You're too cynical even then. Uh, I was too soft. Hadn't hardened hardened yet. <laughs> um, let's see. So, Disney Plus. Going into the realm of Disney Plus. Wyatt Russell is going to be U.S. agent in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, Who so, is Wyatt Russell? So he's the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Uh, oh, it's probably probably the role he's best known for. Um, he's going is to play. Son? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's how I that's how I would introduce myself. Um, if he enough. doesn't, he, if he doesn't, especially especially in Hollywood, uh, he's a fool. Has he done anything else like significant uh, so that you're aware of? He has been in the Netflix, I don't know if it's a, a movie or a, a series, he was in Shimmer Lake and Black Mirror. Okay. So we know he's got some streaming chops. That's cool. For whatever that's worth. Um, <clears throat> so this is from Newsorama in, oh, oh, sorry. So Wyatt is going to play the Captain America wannabe John Walker. AKA US agent. Uh, yeah, this is from sick. This is from Newsarama. In comic books, John Walker was introduced as a supervillain named Super Patriot, but came to assume the mantle of Captain America when Steve Rogers quit. Uh, yeah, so we uh we talked about the news of, of US Agent being added to the show a few weeks ago. Um so great to, I guess, see this come through. It's funny. I went and looked up a picture of him, and he literally just looks like Kurt Russell, just with gorgeous blonde hair. And I'm like, perfect for U.S. agent, but Jesus Christ, could he play an excellent fucking solid snake? Oh, sure. Have you seen the original um, Super Patriot costume? Um, I believe so. It's the... Uh... It's the one that just looks like black Captain America's. No, 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 no. That's U. Right? That's U.S. Agent. Oh, oh, okay. So for Super Patriot. Oh, okay. Oh my God, that flat top though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hope they go with this costume. Dude, his <laughs> look at his calf muscles. His knees look so small because of how thick his fucking calves are. Yep. And I, I really like, not to be like crass, but I like the design of this, how there's those white lines everywhere, and it guides your eye directly to his crotch bulge. It's like, like the most 90s fucking character design ever. I'm sitting, I'm sitting, let's see, probably a reasonable two feet from my screen, right? Yeah. I definitely see penis. Yeah, no, no, like, like... You can clearly see an outline of his dick. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, uh, 
look up the Super Patriot costume uh, if you have a second. Don't do it if you're driving, obviously. Uh, but, Pull over. Uh, Pull over it's worth, and look right now. It's worth it. Um, so uh, I, I I didn't realize that you guys talked about this. Did you talk about the uh, the potential of uh, uh, Sam Wilson fighting the white supremacists and everything? No, I don't think that came up. Ah, okay. So in the comics, uh, when Sam gets the shield and he becomes Captain America, he ends up fighting a uh, a group called the Sons of Serpent who are rounding up illegal immigrants and, you know, uh, being shitty. Um, so he, he starts to fight them, and John Walker is approached by the government, and the government tells him to go get the shield from Sam because uh, it wasn't authorized or whatever. This led me to wonder, do you think... Disney and and you know whoever is putting this out will go that route, or do you think it'll just be uh oh you you can't be Captain America I'm Captain America. Well, I don't know, man. Like I I I could kind of see it going either way, but my knee jerk is to think that Disney would shy away from an overtly political um statement like that as a company of their size you know because i think you know obviously we've seen an initiative in the mcu that they are super proud to talk about um for being more inclusive over the last you know phase or so but i don't know man like we've talked before about how it, it feels a little hollow you know, yeah. like not not to say that. Um, I, I think that it's kind of hard to argue with some of the results, right? Like whatever the intent. Like obviously, uh, Black Panther was awesome, and it you know was not just a uh, almost totally black cast. Most of the people behind the scenes were also people of color. And, like, you know, so, like, it's not to say that it's, like, hollow in the fact that they're not, like, putting their money where their mouth is on some level, but it does seem a little, uh, let's say performative, right? Like, and, um, so I, I think, you know, you can celebrate the, the result of that act, you know, with something like Black Panther, um, however, I think the reaction that you saw from like the LGBTQ uh, community about their inclusion of like the quote first like gay officially gay character in the MCU being the guy in Cap's meeting in Endgame, right? Like, so it, it's been kind of like hit or miss, I think in some ways in terms of like, because I, I think again, you could argue that it's really great that they included a uh, a gay man in that conversation and didn't make a big deal of it in the film. Outside of the film, they were like, look at how progressive we are. So, like, with that in mind, right, a, a seeing a show tackle racism in a, uh, a head-forward or a head-on way, I guess, doesn't seem impossible because, um, like, that was an underlying theme in Black Panther, 
right? Or not even underlying, I guess. Like, that's kind of the primary conflict. Um, however, I also could see them wanting to sidestep any sort of controversy that would come from a overtly, you know, um, like, like taking aside that, that specifically in a conflict that parallels very real things happening in the real world, right? Like a, uh, an organization that could easily draw parallels between ice, right? And you already see a lot of fanboys being like, yeah, I don't know if you saw that thing that was like a meme people were passing around where like it was the image of the She-Hulk logo and everyone being like oh there's a she hulk now is there gonna be a she fucking cap and she this and the she thor and blah 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 Uh people who are just like fucking ignorant and obviously don't know shit um but like you already have that starting because people are like oh fucking phase four is the sjw phase it's all women and minorities and whatever and whatever so like does disney care about that i don't know right you'd think no because they are actually like this next wave is way more diverse. Um, but, uh, like, do they really want to just, like, flip a fucking finger to people who potentially make up a huge portion of their audience? Like, I don't know that Disney's, like, a company that's going to, like, take that that fucking, um, you know, high ground there. You know? Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I didn't, I didn't put it in the news, and I did look to see if... Um if you guys had talked about it, but um, I'm also reminded of that uh, Art Spiegelman essay that was supposed to go in Marvel 1000. Basically, Art Spiegelman calls Trump... uh, uh, Shit, what was it? Uh, The Orange orange, Skull. The Orange Skull. And uh, Marvel didn't want to publish it that way. They wanted him to change it, so he just took it elsewhere and published it in The Guardian, I think. And for those of you who don't know, Art Spiegelman is the uh, creator of Mouse, which yes. is a, a, a comic about World War II, and it's uh, inspired by his, you know, family's experience, I guess, mm. uh, during World War II. Well, specifically the Holocaust. Sorry, yeah, obviously. That, that is an important distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, we did a book club on it, actually, which you can check out if you're interested. Please, yes, please, well. please go listen to that. Uh, but they also, uh, also, it came out, I, I think it was toward the end of last week, so I wasn't entirely sure if, if I should include it in the news, but they also, Mark Wade also had to revise his uh, page really? in Marvel 1000 because he, he said something in the initial thing that was something to the effect of um, um, America isn't great for everybody. Mm, wow and uh yeah i don't know there uh you can blame that stuff on ike perlmutter probably yeah (laughs) yeah yep um he mark wade says that that stuff is overblown i could see how he would want to uh you know be keeping his job (laughs) so yeah i mean like he's got a you know He's got to be diplomatic in the way he talks about something like that. Like, that's his employer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so let's move on. Ooh, special congratulations to friend of the show, Brian Edward Hill, for his uh, feature Zone 414 being picked up. Um, it was announced on Wednesday that Hill's feature would star Travis Fimmel. 
Um, it's a script set in the near future in a colony of state-of-the-art humanoid robots. When its creator's daughter goes missing, he hires private investigator David Carmichael, played by uh, Fimmel, to bring her home. David teams up with Jane, a highly advanced and self-aware AI, to track down the missing daughter. Moving through the dangerous iron jungle, they rapidly piece together the mystery, uncovering a crime that leads them to question the origins of Zone 414 and the true purpose behind the City of Robots. And this uh, is supposed to begin uh, shooting in November. Um, cool. If you want to twist that toward comic books, he's also going to be writing Fallen Angels, uh, one of the many new upcoming X-Men titles. Um, and this one's going to feature Psylocke as its lead character. Yeah, and we talked about that on a recent episode as well, um, about how how he's like specifically going to be tackling... like It's going to be Psylocke, but it's going to be the actual original Psylocke, not... Um, the British one. Yeah, I forget. It's Captain Britain's sister. I can't remember her name, but her consciousness uh, in that Betsy, body. And... Betsy Braddock. I Thank believe. you. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, yeah, and... Uh, Hill has talked about how he's going to like actually deal with that head on and and address that because there's obviously been some controversy about the idea of a you know, a white woman taking over um an Asian woman's body for for years and years. Um, so that's gonna that's gonna be interesting. You should also check out our interview with Brian Edward Hill on episode 130 of the Comics Pals. Yeah, An all time great. Yeah. Anyway, congrats, Brian Edward Hill. Yeah, Come this is great news. Come back on the show and talk about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm always excited to see uh, original scripts making it to Hollywood, you know? Mm. Um, Especially so, yeah, in this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about, you know, again and again how a lot of the, you know, like Hollywood is starting to look at comics as a, as a mine for IP and creative voices, you know? And um, this is an opportunity for, for uh, Brian to you know, probably up his star power a little bit and make some more money and, you know, like be, uh, be, be comfortable. So good for him. I hope, I hope it works out. I'm interested in seeing it come to fruition. I hope it does. We all know how tough Hollywood can be. Uh, moving on. Now I wanted to, I wanted to drill down on this just a little bit. I picked it very specifically. The you return, the return of telltale games. So I guess Telltale is coming back, uh, but not the way you'll remember them. Yeah, kind of in name only. Yeah, that's, that's how it seems. So in September of 2018, the company was shut down after massive layoffs. Yeah, which we talked about uh, over on the Video Game Pals uh, pretty extensively. Well, I was going to say, was it a lot more than that, or is it like, can you give us the TLDR? Yeah, yeah, I can give you the TLDR. The Reader's Digest on what happened here is Telltale Games um, came to prominence uh, about a decade ago, almost now, uh, with their their Walking Dead games, um, which were obviously enormously popular, um, won a ton of awards, you know, really put Telltale on the map. And uh, as as Telltale grew, you know, in prominence because of that series, they got a lot more IP offers. You know, they made ton, they made Game of Thrones, they made a Guardians of the Galaxy game, Batman, Minecraft, like all this stuff. But all that time, they were growing without really um, improving their processes. Their engine was old when it made The Walking Dead, and they were making games on it as recently as last year. 
and they were really starting to show their age, um, the quality of their games, not across the board, but several uh, kind of dipped for sure. And, um, you know, you saw like a lot of Telltale games coming out with very little fanfare, like the Guardians of the Galaxy, which was kind of panned. Uh, did, did that come out? It did. An oh, entire boy, season of it. I didn't even remember that coming out. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Um, I didn't. I played one episode, didn't even finish it. Was just like, no thanks. Um, so, and you know, you can go check out the video game pals episode if you want to like learn more about the actual story. But I mean, it was a, a whole thing where systematically, like, they were just not. The company was really mismanaged, and when it finally went under, they laid off their entire staff with no warning. And, you know, you know, hundred plus people lost their jobs and, you know, were immediately like, you know, out on, on the, on their own, like trying to figure it out. And, um, and it was obviously a huge scandal and it really led to a lot of conversation about how, you know, game devs need to unionize and, and how they're treated is just not right. Um, so now we kind of see Telltale returning with these two other people, who are uh you probably have their names handy jamie ottilly and brian waddle right uh so the two of them are people who've been in the indie space for a little bit um haven't really worked on anything super significant um at least that i'm aware of like Hmm. they're i read their credits and hadn't really heard of much of what they'd done so um they but they bought the name to telltale they own they own a lot of the ip that they like they still have rights to make another batman game and a few other things uh like fables which was another the wolf among us was another one of their like really successful og telltale uh or not og but the second wave of popularized telltale games um and they've expressed interest in wanting to revive some of that stuff as well as do some new things and basically they they want to bring back the spirit of telltale and what that name represented and and they believe in the vision of adventure games coming forward and everything like that Mm. uh but you know, they don't have the Walking Dead IP anymore. That's reverted to Skybound. Yeah. Um, a lot of those people, I think, are probably going to retain permanent positions at Skybound or have now moved on to other studios. They talked about bringing back some of the original Telltale staff at, like, freelance positions with the hope of elevating them to full-time positions, like, in a little bit. But they really want to keep it small at first and, and try to, like, focus and show that they can make a good product. So something to remain cautiously optimistic about, I would say, because I really love Telltale's style of game. And they're certainly not the only ones doing it. Uh, Don't Nod, Deck Nine, um, Supermassive. Like, there's plenty of other people out there doing this kind of game. But um, Telltale definitely had a unique voice and and made a lot of really, really great comic book games in their time. So I'd love to see, even if it is a new team, come back and capture that spirit. But uh, I think rightly so there's been a lot of skepticism among fans and discerning, you know, people in the game sphere, like one Jason Schreier uh, from Kotaku, who I think tweeted about it and said, summed up my feelings pretty well, although he was a little bit more harsh on it than I am. I want to remain optimistic, uh, saying that corporations don't make video games, brands don't make video games, people make video games, you know, people make art. So if those creators that made those games aren't there anymore as Telltale Telltale, we'll have to see. Hmm. One of the things, one of the things that I found interesting, and this this can sort of follow up on that question, is uh, 
Ottilie, so, sorry, pal, uh, Ryan, no, Jamie, Jamie, uh, <laughs> nailing it. <laughs> J, uh, this guy, Jamie, J O, said that he he wants to change the episodic model. Right. Uh, he says, uh, "quote We will probably keep the concept of episodes, but with different pacing. This is a different world from a media consumption standpoint." We need to look at how people like to entertain themselves. I like the idea of binge watching. Is that is that a good thing? Because I I, I, I even it, I even feel like we've moved away from binge watching again. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think it depends on who you ask, right? I think there are some people who are proponents of binge watching and others who who don't like it. I think um, there's an argument to be made from an artistic standpoint that it really affects pacing. Um, and you want to be able to control those kinds of things. However, I would argue, I think something closer to a binge model is better for a game, uh, like Telltale, what Telltale does, because, um, I don't think you need to look any further than the example of Life is Strange 2, which has been coming out this year. And I'm a huge Life is Strange fan. I've got a tattoo. I talk about the comic all the time. Like, I love Life is Strange. Um... And I really like what I have played of Life is Strange 2. However, I played the first episode and then since then have been trade waiting basically for the end of the series in December so that I could just play it. Because I played that first episode and when I sat down to do the second one, I was like, ah, like, what happened last time? Like, I don't totally remember what I was doing. Like, and I, and I, I want to just experience it, you know, and I, it doesn't have to be all at once. But I want to be able to control that experience and not have to wait three, four, five months in between episodes, which is something that did plague a few Telltale games like The Wolf Among Us that I think killed its momentum. You know, and, and I think you need to find that balance between throwing it all out at once and eschewing the episodic model or allowing it to just be like, well, when it's done, we put out the next episode. Because that, that can lead to all kinds of pacing issues in its own right. So I would say I wouldn't mind if they had it you know, similar to like what we're doing right now with like uh, House and Powers of X. If it was week to week, that would be great. Even month to month would be more accept- acceptable. Yeah, yeah, give people a little bit of time. To Do breathe. on on stuff. I've never played the uh, Telltale game, uh, or for that matter, you know, Life is Strange. Um, do they Just try Life is Strange? I think you'd like it. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, I don't like things. So that's true. Do they have, you know, unlike, unlike, do, do they have a, a previously, a previously on? Yeah. yeah. But it's, re- it's really just for the story. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like very much like, here are all the major beats of the episode, you know? Um, but in those, at least when those games are done well, um, I think there's a lot of subtle things that you can miss if you don't remember where you were in the story. Because, like, you might find, like, there's a lot of environmental exploration and stuff, you know? So, like, you could find items or clues or learn facts about people that if you don't remember or you're not, like, recalling well can definitely, like, hamper your enjoyment or, like, you getting what the game's trying to put down, you know? Or, like, the clues it's leaving for you and stuff like that. So it's the kind of thing where I know I personally would rather be able to control the pacing a little bit more than being, like... I played this four-hour experience, and I have to wait, you know, four months for another chunk. I think I think that can definitely lessen the impact of certain things, and it's this, in the same way that we're complaining about the delays for Doomsday Clock, right? Where it's like, ugh, I just want to know what happens. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, waiting is good until it isn't, you know? Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I think I feel that with, arguably enough, uh, Stranger Things. I have no interest in this new season whatsoever. Um, and it's just like, I feel like I've been, not that I've necessarily been waiting for it, but I feel like it's just been in the the general, um, I don't know, uh, high mind consciousness. Oh, like zeitgeist? Zeitgeist, thank you. Uh, yeah. For so long, and it's still like one continuous story that isn't finished yet. And I'm just like, okay, I could, I could be done with this. Yeah, and and I think there's an argument to be made that if it came out quicker, you wouldn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I could agree with that. Yeah. So you know, I think I think there's there's an argument to be made for for both angles to it. You know, and I think it's about finding that balance of keeping people on the hook. Um, and that is different for everything and every person too, you know? Cause like for me, I, um, I really enjoy stranger things, but I, I've never been a, uh, like a mega fan of it, you know? So like for me, like I watched season one captivated by it. And then was like, cool, that was complete. And then they're like, oh, there's a season two. And I was like, oh, cool. I feel like there's more to do in that universe and questions that were unanswered. I can totally get down for that. Paid attention to it. Okay, cool. They're clearly setting up a season three. Dope. I'll pay attention to that when it comes out. I didn't really think about it again until season three came out. So for me, it's like, yeah, it's zeitgeisty and whatever. But like, I don't like super engage with that that much. You know, like, I don't, I don't go out of my way to engage with, like, oh, this is what's hot and popular and what everyone's talking about right now, unless it's games or comics to some degree. Um, so, like, whatever. Like, yeah, I saw some people dress up as, like, L for Halloween for the last couple of years or whatever. But as, as, aside from that, that's kind of where my relationship with it ended, you know? Um, but I, but I get that, too. And, and I think that is a problem with, uh, with with anything that's episodic or serialized you know whether it's comics or or whatever is that like you know i think part of the reason the mcu is so successful is because there's a movie every three months and it keeps you engaged and it, and it happens often enough that you don't forget shit yeah yeah you know so yeah yeah so i i don't know i i we'll have to see on mm. this one where it nets out uh, finally, and I set this one up for Marco, and, uh, I don't know, fuck him, I guess. Uh, Little son of a bitch. Uh, Adult Swim is making an Uzumaki miniseries. Uh, what timing, f- right? Fool, for real, for real. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's spoil it. So, I don't know if Marco's mentioned it yet, I think he did on Instagram, but one of our upcoming book clubs is actually about Uzumaki. It's gonna be the first manga we've ever read for the book club. Uh, yeah. So what timing? Yeah, this is going to be coming out like right as we're aware of it. Well, the, I've the, never even heard of it before this. The announcement is uh, is now. It's not coming out until twenty twenty, but uh, we will definitely have it ready to go. We'll have a little club ready. Yeah, um, that's coming out in October. So 
keep your ears in spirals. Check it out. Uh, on Friday at Crunchyroll Expo, Adult Swim announced that it was partnering with Japan's production IG to make Uzumaki a four-episode miniseries of Junji Ito's classic horror manga. It's going to air on Toonami in 2020. I didn't know Toonami was still around. They, like, revived it a while ago. It's interesting that it's debuting on Toonami, but Adult Swim is producing it. I wonder if it's going to be one of those, you know, like like they did when we were kids, you know, the, the late night Saturday anime or whatever. Yeah, probably. This is cool, though. Um, obviously. This is cool as hell. <laughs> yeah, like, obviously I'm not, you know, the biggest manga guy or anything like that, but. Just like this teaser, I thought it looks like it's a really, really cool style for adapting the series because it feels very close to the original in terms of like, and again, I don't know if that's what the final product is going to look like, but it was all black and white. And there were times where some of the still shots felt like a comic, but like there was like motion and stuff. So like it felt like a mix between a motion comic and an anime. It was interesting. Yeah, 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 and the music was very um, cerebral, tense, and tense, very tense, yeah. and yeah. and uh, cerebral is a good way to put it. Like there, there's like that this one part. It's just like a woman singing and a trill on a saxophone, and it sounds so like uh, like a carousel, like starting to careen off or something like that. You know, yeah. is very unsettling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm very excited for this. I will have to find a way to get Adult Swim so I can watch it. I'm sure they'll put it online. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty good about that shit. Use my VPN. Um, mm. Here's here's the last thing, and it's just a uh, very, very, very short thing. Literally today... Uh, Saturday, August 31st, 2019, as we are recording, is the day that Disney bought Marvel for $4.2 billion. Good God. Ten years ago. Hell of an investment, huh? Poof. And apparently, that's cheap. I That is pretty cheap when you think about it, though, right? For real. Because, like, uh, like they've, they've made a billion dollars... On several individual, maybe not all totally in pocket, right? But they've netted around a billion dollars for several of the movies that they've produced with Marvel properties. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah they made their money. They made their yeah. money's worth. Definitely. Do you? I honestly can't believe how little Marvel and Star Wars sold for in the grand scheme of things, considering they're like two of the most valuable American IP. I I was very surprised that Star Wars went. I'm, for as I think cheap I'm, as it did? Yeah. I, I'm i glad it did. I, I, every, I've I liked everything but Rogue One. And I, I agree, and I didn't even hate Rogue One. Like, I don't have the hype for it that a lot of other people seem to, but it was like a fine movie. You know, and if that's the worst thing they've produced, I don't even it, know if I'm, well. It, it was a good, it that. was a good enough Star Wars movie. I'll give it that. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly wasn't Attack of the Clones bad. No, no. Yeah, so. I, I think in general, um, I feel like Disney's actually been a pretty decent steward of the Star Wars brand. I think the fact that like Solo 
was a fail for them and like that they've like scaled back their plans a little bit. Oh, That's I all I want about Solo. Yeah, I, I I saw it. It wasn't as bad no, as people I, made it out to be. I, yeah, I actually pretty much enjoyed it. I thought it was je- – yeah, I remember Sarah and I went to go see it and we walked out and like just like had a collective – like we looked at each other it's like, hmm, like, man, I don't, yeah. I don't really – I don't get the anti-hype. This wasn't yep. – it yeah. wasn't bad. It, was it definitely wasn't bad, and there there were things about it that were genuinely enjoyable. It was so, no Rogue One. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you know, I it's so tough because I I in but principle alone, I hate Disney as a company, sure. as a corporation, especially recently. Yeah. And the consolidation of media is bad. The consolidation of industry is bad. Monopolies are bad. And I hate so much of what they do. The way that they treat their employees. Like, all the, like we could sit here and, and talk about how awful Disney is all day. However, they they do – they are good at making art. Like, their results are pretty solid with uh with the marvel ip and when you look at where marvel was before disney acquired them and where they are now in terms of like cultural relevance and you know uh breakthrough of their ip and all that stuff it's like you it's hard to argue that they haven't been good stewards of the brand that they haven't cared about marvel and what it is and what it means to people and all those things so um i don't know it's fucked up it's fucked up when you hate a when you hate a company but you like the things that they make. Yeah. Hey. There's no ethical consumption in late stage capitalism. Also, literally today, literally today, I found this out this morning. It is Marvel's 80th birthday. Wow, really? Eight right now? zero. Literally right now. Happy birthday, Marvel. I saw a big uh, big video from all its creators and Akira Yoshida was there and Oh man. I found out I found out what a lot of my favorite creators look like, um, which was it's always it's it's very hit or miss in comics. I tell you, I tell you what they always say: never see your heroes. Yeah, yeah that's what they always say. Um, well, that's I, that's what I keep telling you, and you keep trying to bring the put video us on back. The YouTube I know. And, I know. But speaking of eight, speaking of eighty years. Uh, Marvel went and took a big geriatric dump on the comic book stands and uh, released Marvel Comics number 1000. Uh, we're going to review that for you right now. If that didn't color your, your perception of, of, you know, what I, what I think of it. You're so good at keeping your cards close to your chest, man. That's, the thing, <laughs> that's one of the things I appreciate about you the most. Wear, I wear exactly what I'm thinking right on my sleeve. <laughs> uh, so, 80 years, 80 creative teams, and one universe. Uh, what did you What did you think? I think like most of these big celebration issues that we've had over the last like year or so, um, whether it was Action Comics or... Uh, Detective 1000, whatever. It was hit or miss. There were things, there were pages, we'll say, um, that I liked a lot. And there were some that I, I thought 
were just kind of flat, you know? Um, so I, you know, I would say I, given the expectations that I had going in, um, it, it landed about where I expected, you know, I, I think, um, there were a few particularly standout pages that, um, you know, if, if you caught those making the rounds, you know, on like comic pages without context or on Reddit or something like that, you probably got the pinnacle experience here. Um, but that being said, I actually did think that there was some value to the, the format, you know, um, despite the fact that not all of it was good. I liked the idea of kind of like a timeline of like major events in Marvel history represented by the page, you know, um, that being said, some of the choices, like some of the events that they chose, some of the events that they omitted, um, yeah, yeah, that, that's where I, that's where my criticism comes in. Like, I like the framing device, but I think some of the choices were questionable and, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, this, and this one feels obvious, but like. Uh, the character Red Wolf had a whole page and Red Wolf headlines in Marvel Spotlight number one. I'd never even heard of Red Wolf before. I think it was the all new, all new, all different reboot. Yeah. They tried to bring him back again. It looks like they're going to do that again. And I, yeah, I'm just like, well, why? Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> like that. Why? Why bring it to your anniversary issue? Right, yeah. And that's kind of where I landed on it in terms of, like, it being... I don't want to say necessarily more on the negative side for me, but, like, it's so squarely in the middle, you know, of just, like, yeah, this is a real mixed bag. Because, like, that's a weird choice. It's weird that, like, on the cover... Of it, which is like, look, this is representative of, like, all of Marvel and everything. And, like, Kamala Khan's there, but it's like, there's, like, not a Kamala Khan page in the yeah. book. But there's one for, what's her name, um, that they tried to bring back, back and, or not bring back, but the, oh my god, what's her name? She's the, like, the... No, no, no. That was the one where I was like, why does why is Patsy Walker getting a page? Like, nothing against Patsy Walker, but like, who gives a shit? Like, why her? You know, like I, I, I don't wholly disagree. Um, and just random stuff, you know. Like, I liked some of the callouts of like weird, like stuff that most mainstream readers are probably not familiar with, like the three X's and like, you know, um, what's her name, the receptionist or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like weird stuff that. like that. Yeah. Like that's cool. I, I I get that. That's showing that the Marvel universe is broader than we give it credit for, and all those kinds of things. That's dope. But like, um, crap. I was just the character I was talking about was the um, she's the teenage Puerto Rican superhero from the other universe, America. 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 Yeah. Like, why did she get a page instead of Kamala? Yeah. Like that was just yeah. weird. You know, like. And just shit like that is is more where I kind of felt 
you know, not necessarily negative about it, but just like, why is this the choice we made? You know, because yeah. like, uh, or, or yeah, for me, the, for me, the big one was the uh, the X Men page uh, that was done by the manga artist Kia. Yeah, Asamiya. Who cares? Yeah, it's like I mean, it's it is cool. You're right, but like, didn't really. I didn't know that happened, and it happened well within my lifetime and when I was reading comics. So why? Yeah, I think the thing. And also, sorry. The other thing about that is it was it was written by Teeny Howard, and there are three captions. (laughs) Yeah. you couldn't just have like an editor do that or even the letterer like <laughs> why didn't you if the if the manga artist was such a big deal why did you let him do it yeah <laughs> like, i don't know it, nothing, it, it, uh, nothing against teeny howard but like why my, <laughs> the thing is too it's like i don't feel like any of the pages that are there are like bad or or like egregious or anything but it's like they it feels like not representative of the biggest moments in Marvel's history, which is yeah. what it's touted as. And it feels yeah. like it either needed more pages or different pages. You know, and I would have been fine if yeah. it was bigger. Like if it was if it was like actually a thousand pages and it was like a hardcover and it was like gonna go through all of the minutia of the biggest, craziest and whatever. That would have been interesting. But where it stands as an 80-page thing, it does feel like there are moments that are, like, omitted or things that should be there that aren't in favor of things that don't really feel super significant. And maybe that – not that they're, like, insignificant, but less significant than, you know, the biggest 80 moments in Marvel's history. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I I wholly agree. I – man – my my general thought is this this feels like an unearned cash grab like uh, they saw the success that action and detective comics got for their thought 1000 issues and as far as i'm concerned rightly got because yeah. those those two titles have been around long enough for a thousand issues 80 years while a lot is not a thousand issues. It's more than a thousand issues. If they were so hot on this, why didn't they do it when they had a thousand issues of anything? I just, for me, this feels unearned, and it it shows a little bit. Like they just kind of yeah. rushed it and put it together. Yeah, I, I I would say I agree with that overall. I, I think it's a project that it's a shame that it feels unearned because it isn't. Like, Marvel has a rich history, and, like, it would be super easy to come together and think about that timeline and what are the biggest moments and the biggest events and the biggest whatevers and, you know, lay all your cards on the table and, like, and do that, you know, and have it be a project that, like, like what, um, like, we've seen with, like, X-Men Grand Design, right? Where, like, something like that, where there's love and care put into it. And not since there wasn't love and care put into this, because there are lots of pages that are really good. Um, like Jerry Conway's page about Gwen Stacy and, and Mary Jane's relationship was like, that's a great page, you know? There's plenty of really good ones. Um, and they touch on a lot of the the major, you know, who, I think they do represent a lot of the most important and unique players in the Marvel Universe 
well as well you know like we have like a howard the duck page there is a page about you know luke cage and jessica jones and their family and like you you get some of the two of them that's true um so like you know credit where credit's due but i i think that the missed opportunity here and the stuff that doesn't land is so unfortunate that it does sour the package a little bit for me you know and it does make me feel like it like it was it was fine you know i didn't not enjoy it but i eh, it's like yeah it's like a solid six seven out of ten kind of thing boof yeah yeah and i i'd probably give it less maybe a five 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 and a half yeah because i'm looking at i'm looking at this mile story that's all text and, and there like, were a few like that, like the one for I don't even know this character either. It was like the guy the night, who night, night cave night uh, night whatever. something night lobster or yeah the yeah the lobster he, DNA guy and he's endlessly yeah. bound to this other villain and whatever. And I was like, that sounds interesting or whatever. But like, why is this a page full it felt, of just text? And yeah, that to me felt appropriately pulpy. Sure. Um, Granted, I don't know if it, you know, it's probably what they were going for, but I don't know what the character, like you said, I don't know who this character is. But, but like, the Miles page, like, that's all they gave Miles? Yeah, especially, like, I don't know. Like, they had, they had Lord and, I can never remember the other guy's name. Miller. Miller, Miller and Lord. They had them do a Spider-Man story. And granted, I loved their page. I thought that was it was great. That was a great one. Yeah, it was one of the best ones. I think most of the Spider-Man pages landed pretty well. Um, the yeah, the only one I didn't like was the one with Wolverine. Yeah, that was super I flat. Get that one. Um, but like, why not have them do the Miles page? They just did Spider Verse, which was this amazing celebration of Miles Morales, and like, yeah, I don't know, felt like a missed opportunity. One page of the Fantastic Four, right? You know, granted, Doom had his own page and, you know, whatever. But like, and the the big focus for the Fantastic Four was on the thing, which is great. I love yeah. the thing. But like, there wasn't a page about the actual like dynamic of the yeah. Fantastic Four. And that feels yep. shitty. Like that doesn't land yep. for me. Um, I didn't really feel like there was enough attention on Professor X or Magneto for as many pages as there were about the X-Men overall. Like... I don't know. I, I I do think that there are a lot of missed opportunities. Mm. Um, before we get into what the actual content was, because I do want to talk about that, was there anything that really stood out to you? I already caught attention to the Jerry Conway page. That one definitely really yeah. stood out to me as, as being excellent. Um, I, I Again, I like the Miller and Lord Spider-Man one. Um, most of the Spider-Man ones, like I said, I think were really pretty well executed. And I liked a lot of the early stuff in the book that called attention to, again, kind of the, the timely comics era and like, like the original Human Torch and, you know, um, the original introduction of Captain America and, and some of those things that are less less well known less well explored like they deserve pages in this anthology um you know just as much as as the stuff that we're talking about missing so as much as i'm 
disappointed about what wasn't included i think some of the stuff that was included was really important and i'm glad that it it was you know and it was represented yeah i was um a little surprised at how much i enjoyed the uh the uh the rob liefeld page yeah that was pretty funny um that dude still cannot draw a gun (laughs) (laughs) Or legs, but um, um, overall, yeah, I think I really, other than that one Spider-Man page, I I th- pointed out the one with Wolverine. I think I really enjoyed all of the Spider-Man pages. I, I also um, oh, oh oh oh, and uh, Chip Zdarsky's Iron Man one that was really good I thought too. was very good. I uh. The Make Mine a Manhattan that I called out about Tessie the Typist, that was a good one too. Yep. That was that was like a cute page. Um there were a few that I really thought were kind of duds, unfortunately. Like um the Loki page, the journey, and like the Doctor Strange Finn cycle. Like there are a few that those those were just like, eh, they're whatever. You know, and like again, I think in a in a bigger anthology I would have more I'd give a little bit more rope for stuff like that but I feel like the fact that like I would have loved to see pages about some of the stuff that we're talking about missing it yeah sucks to see stuff like that and get a page yeah. um the one like that that I thought was really good though was the uh the last word which was the Alex Ross uh Hulk, Hulk page one. where he yeah. eats the microphone that was like okay That's that was good, good. um I, I also really enjoyed the uh, the What Do You Regret page by uh, Straczynski and Ed McGinnis. Specifically, I like this because it's um, it has a uh, a little cameo by Straczynski himself, where he says "Sins past," because that's the arc of his his time on Spider Man, where Gwen Stacy has kids with Norman Osborn. Oh my God! Right, and I <laughs> I I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> but but again back to the uh the dates that they they gave on this thing on that particular page 2017 stan lee appears as the watcher in guardians guardians of the galaxy 2 why is that is that what you want to remember in yeah 2017 like or like that's the moment you pull out for stan lee like in the same yeah, way it's yeah. like either of those you know um, I did um, like the inclusion of Red Four, the Charles Soule, uh, Terry Dodson, Rachel Dodson, the Star well, Wars I did one. Not. It, I, I did the, not. The the page itself wasn't great, but I liked the nod uh, to Star Wars because obviously Star Wars comics like were historically a big thing for Marvel before the reemersion of the brand and the kind of realignment under Disney. So it's like that. I think that makes sense. Star Wars is a part of their lineage. I don't know. I I agree with you semantically. Like I agree with what you're saying, but I also just like I don't like that it was there. Like mm-hmm. in a book full of superheroes and superhero stuff, this is what you throw out there. And and frankly, I feel the same with uh, the Conan. Conan. Page. Less so with Conan because he's now in the Marvel universe. But sure. I felt I I felt that same way. Okay. It it that Star Wars page reminded me 
that it's only a matter of time before they cross over. It's officially officially part of the Marvel universe. That I hope not. It's only a matter of time. Uh, um, another one that I, I actually liked was uh, End of the Day. That was the Doctor Doom Iron Man one. Hmm. Yeah, that was okay. I thought that was like a cute one pager. Yeah. Um, let's okay. So let's get into the actual story that was sort of weaved through here by uh, Al Ewing and various artists. So there's a group called the Three X's, and their name changes a couple of different times. I think they're called the Enclave at some point. Yeah. Um, and they're chasing a mask that gives the wearer equal strength to whoever he's fighting. As long is as what I understood. As long as their natural abilities aren't less than their own, so it can't make you weaker if you fight someone weaker than you. But if somebody's more powerful than you, then it elevates your power. Okay. Okay. I was into that. I thought that was a cool hook. Cool thread. And I... Cool thread, yeah. I uh, I liked the stuff that came with that, especially early on. Uh, but there at the end, it was just... For me, it was just like, okay, I don't care about this again. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not interested in the... Um, like, where it goes from here. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. Full spoilers here. I, I get you know. Yeah, we're spoiling we've, both we've, these we've talked. We've talked. Yeah, we've talked about pretty much the whole thing. Uh, but at the end of the at the end of the thing, you find out that the the mask is a piece of eternity. Weird. <laughs> and then, apparently, there's a new masked rider who is an old Western character that they're bringing back in 2020. I think they're bringing back like a lot of these characters that they brought up in this issue. If, for yeah, but this one is the one that's like Master Raider. Yeah, is his name. This is the one he's got. He's got a cowboy hat. He's got six shooters. Yeah, he's a cowboy. He's a straight up cowboy. He's a cowboy with like the with space for a face. And 2020, the mask under the the face under the mask is revealed. Could be cool. I don't know. I don't care. He's not. He's not gonna be anyone I know. Anyone I give a shit about. You don't. It's probably gonna be. uh, It's probably gonna be fucking. uh, What's his name? Rick James. Rick. uh, Rick Jones. Rick Jones. (laughs) It's probably. Uh, It's probably gonna be Rick Jones. Fair enough. Speaking of which, actually, I wanted to call out that page too. I like the Rick Jones page. I'm glad he got a shout out. (laughs) That's an obscure corner of the Marvel universe that needed a page. He was there until, I don't know, 10 years ago? Yeah. Like, he was still kicking. He was like the Blue Hulk or whatever. He's done a lot in his days. Oh, and one other one I did want to call out to was um, I really liked the Spider-Man He Arrives Just in Time. That was Dan Slott, Marcos Martin, and uh, Munsta Vicente, I'm going to guess. Um, that was a good one, too. I thought. I, I, I the The art of it really evoked... It reminded me of Spider-Man Blue. Those last three panels and like the the open space and everything. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, that one got me. Yeah, Marcos Martin is uh, awesome. He's really great. So good. Yeah. 
but yeah, so I'm I'm with you. Like I'm not super interested in this. It might be cool. I might get into it, but eh, hey, whatever. I'll get into it if we have to, but uh, I, I, I'm not excited about it. You can't make me be excited about it. Fair enough. So let's talk about a book that we are excited about. Ah, finally. House of, House of X. X. Number three. Number three. Where do you want to start with this one? Because obviously I'm sure you've got a lot to say considering you haven't, you know, that you haven't gotten to speak your piece on this book at all. Um, where would I like to start? I love the Moira McTaggart part of the book. That reveal? Uh, altogether. Okay. Uh, yeah. What was the reveal? I gotta find it. I mean that she's been a mutant all the time, all along. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I think that is, that is, that is grade A. That is... Good, good stuff, man. Um, what to say about this issue? Uh, do you have anything specific about this issue? So I, I'm excited to be back in house because I, I really enjoyed both series, but I think mm. house has been a little bit more enjoyable for me because i like that it's a little more focused um although the, I, the last I, powers issue was more focused which was nice i think i i think i like house a little bit better because it, it feels a little more grounded in a place i am familiar with that too um i definitely think that helps so yeah for me this this book has been um a really fun ride and i've liked how the last couple issues have been like filling in blanks but I'm glad that this one moved us forward again in the main timeline because I'm so confused as to how it all comes together. So getting to see a little forward motion here, especially because I think we get two back to back this week. Um, I'll double check on that. But that I, I'm I'm excited to see the Cyclops Strike Force team move forward and see like where that all nets out. Yeah, it's House 3 and House 4 next right. week. Okay, cool, which is great. That's exactly what I want. Especially with this cliffhanger, I I, I think will be uh, very good. Yeah, um, they've broken these issues up in, in ways that feel really meaningful. Um, because when there is a cliffhanger, you get the resolution of it right away, which is nice. Yeah. But it always leads to something crazy. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I feel I feel like this was a kind of a not a not a dull issue by any means, but it it was an issue that felt appropriately superhero comic booky. It it almost feels like there's not a ton to talk about here because it's like okay, well, yeah, all this happened, and it, you know, yeah, of course. Um, I, yeah, man. <laughs> I'm waiting, man. <laughs> throw it to me. I'll take it. You don't need me to throw it to you. So you talked about you talked about the cliffhanger, right? And yeah. I'm very interested in this because 
we, you know, you look at this team that's in this, that's in the, the X-Jet at the time, yeah. and you got to think most of them are biting the dust. These this. are top guys. Yeah. And you got to think most of them are going to die here. Because, I mean, granted, in the future that we've seen, it wouldn't make sense for most of them to live. But I uh, I don't know, man. I This is this is interesting because where we hit the halfway point in the last issue, halfway through the overall event. So with this, like, this has to be a big turning point, this mission. And we've had it set up how we know it's a do or die thing. So, like... I'm really wondering going out of this, like, is, is Wolverine the only one who's going to make it on the fucking ship? <laughs> I think it's I think it's entirely possible because the the Nightcrawler we get in, was it year 100? Yeah, he's a clone. He's red. He's, he's really a Nightcrawler. Oh, he's a clone. Okay. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Oh, uh, I believe he's from the third generation of mutants that were bred from the Sinister asteroid mutant breeding programs or whatever because he's one that's of the right. preachers who are like non-violent oh that sounds right yeah 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 uh, well i also thought it was interesting because he's red and the red nightcrawler guys are are uh they're bamps they're basically i think they're they might be straight up demons i don't remember what the lore is behind them but there's like nightcrawler who's a blue one and then there's there are red ones. Like Nightcrawler isn't the only Nightcrawler in the universe. Right. Right. So yeah, it's um it's definitely interesting because I mean this whole issue is kind of following up on that thread that we had um you know a while ago now where Magneto and and Charles set out this mission for Cyclops that you know based on everything that Moira's learned through her past lives is like, this is, this is the last chance, you know, for mutant kind that every time a Nimrod is established in the way that he's been established, he's the, the thing that you can't get away from, right? Like we know that AI that's, that's sentient is inevitable, but AI that's sentient and mutant hating isn't. And that like, this is their shot you know um and to see where this issue ends like it's it's really interesting because i'm i'm so confused about how this whole thing is going to resolve because we know that no matter what happens this is comics and like it has to get back to a status quo it has to get to a point where the line of x-men comics that you hinted at earlier uh and we talked about on a previous episode can actually happen so i am so confused by how this suicide mission that seemingly only wolverine is going to be able to survive like how does how do we get from where we are right now to the end of this issue or to the end of this event and what does that look like because every one of these issues answers a question for me while posting new ones this is the first issue that I feel like hasn't done that, uh, where it doesn't introduce, it doesn't answer questions. It only introduces new ones. And where I'm at with it is, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know where this goes from here. Because I think, obviously, 
the mission's the mission and they got to do this. But is this the timeline where they figure it out and they figure out how to make Nimrod not exist? And like, how does the forest flung future timeline that we've seen connect to everything else yet? Is that the resolution of this 10th timeline? Is that another possible future like the apocalypse future that ends up not happening i don't i don't know i don't know i have a feeling that this timeline because i think sean brought this up last time when we were talking about it the theory that the post-human that we see in the far-flung future with the little tiny nimrod and everything is moira year 1000 or whatever yeah oh right and that the only way to end the cycle is to is to ascend and join the the knowledge cloud or whatever but like we know that's not happening that's not the end of the marvel universe or whatever so like what what does that mean for us like is that the potential 11th life that moira was was hinted at maybe being able to get I don't know. Like, I don't know. I really don't. And it's so funny because well, as much as I really want to know what happens on this the Cyclops mission, I have such a hard time thinking about how it fits into the broader scheme of what Hickman's got going on. Yeah. Well, like, I guess I guess my, my assumption is this is this is a moment that probably happens or wait no they wait sorry what do you mean by that happens in every timeline okay but wait the x-men know about it because moira has shown charles and magneto everything and the only reason all this is this mission is happening altogether is because they know about it and this is that tenth life. Yes. Poof. I know. It's hard. It's really hard because, like, my theory about the apocalypse future that we were seeing being her eighth life or whatever ended up proving uh, that was or seven. That was nine. That was nine. Okay. That would make sense. No, wait. No, no, wait. you're right. It was yeah, not. Yeah, that was That's nine. the last one before the 10th yeah. life. Um, that ended up being true. And there's still the mystery of what happens during her coma in her fifth life and why is her sixth life off the timeline. So there's still relevant things in the past that we don't know yet. And I wonder if this, excuse me, if the sixth timeline isn't the one that the Ascension timeline that we saw or that we're seeing and if so, is it possible that the current House of X timeline that we're seeing is going to be the natural conclusion of this event and then they'll reset things one more time for her 11th timeline and then that's the current, co- uh, you know, continuity of X-Men X-continuity. like that, that, yeah. that are going to come up? I have no fucking idea at this point. Man. But – fucking love it i know i like honestly i feel like i need like a whiteboard so i can like plot it all out and everything because it's like so confusing he's he's given it to us <laughs> yeah i mean i love that i love that so let me ask you this since you haven't been in on any of these 
What is your take on the uh, file info dump pages that he's had in every, like, every one of these issues? It's very Hickman. It's do you like it, though? Hickman. Does it work for you? Because I usually I don't like that kind of thing, but I, for him, I do like it. Well, yeah. So, for instance, um, Eric Stevenson does it in The Nowhere Men. Um, it's an older image title. It blew up. It came out right around the time that um, Image had its big, uh, big boom in two thousand ten or whatever, um, and it's it's full of stuff like that: magazine articles, newspaper clippings, uh, data entry, employee files. There's just something about the way Hickman does it that. It's, <laughs> I think it's both good copywriting because it's all like it's bulleted short paragraphs for the most part. It's, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a hard read. I do feel like it's thick and it's very um, full of information, but it's not necessarily hard. Um, but it's also stuff that like when you're, in it you just you want to know all this stuff yeah yeah exactly and, and that, that's how i feel about it Hickman i want every just scrap. The kind of writer you back hello guess so <laughs> yeah i don't know I, that might have been me I, yeah, it could have been both of us. Mine's, I think we've been kind of laggy this whole thing, so. so go ahead. Uh, I was going to, Hickman's just the kind of writer who, he just, he knows how to hook you and then make you want to know every little thing that you can. Right, yeah, and I think like you said, if you're in it, you're looking for like every scrap. You know, every every little bit of information that you can get. Yeah. Um, like the one of my favorite pages in any of these is the Moira timeline. I keep going back to it every issue and being like, how does this all yeah. come together? You know? Yeah. This is yeah. just, yeah. That, uh, that timeline is so good. Uh, and another thing that was a standout for me was it was really great to see a return of Nightcrawler because I feel like. I haven't seen or read him in something in so long because he was dead for so long. And, you know, and then mm. there was the one in the Apocalypse universe, but not the main one. And he came back and all this stuff. So it's just like, it's just fun to, to get to see Nightcrawler on the page again. You know, and it's another thing that makes it feel a little bit more like my X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have two things there. Do we have any idea what the deal is with the Marvel Girl costume? No. I'm super interested okay. in it, though, and Sean has th been thinking that there's something up with it since the beginning. I think, yeah, I I kind of think it, it serves the different timelines. Like, I think it's, um, you know, if you think of the timelines, like, sort of dimensions. Yeah. I think it's sort of a butterfly effect dimension thing. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, there's still honestly the question to answer too from the very first issue of like, are these clones? I suppose. Yeah, because I suppose. we showed Charles in his current body 
um, you know, in like what was clearly some kind of a cloning facility and mutants who looked a lot like Gene and Scott, like yeah, coming out right. of those that's weird, right. you know, pods. So yeah, I'm wondering if that's why they're weird and that's why Gene is wearing the Marvel Girl costume and talking in a way that doesn't feel like Gene and all those things. I don't know. Could be. Lots of unanswered questions, it, man. Yeah, everyone, everyone on this on this particular X team does feel just it. They do feel slightly off. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the other thing is, did you notice? I don't. I think it was one of the number ones um, that they they referred to the the Bendis years on X Men as the lost decade. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Um, Did you? Oh, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't take that to mean like as a dig specifically, as much as it meant like that they as a people were lost during those years. Um, but it's yeah, also a yeah. little, it's a little tongue in cheek, I think, too. Like, kind of a nod to that was the years where they weren't really relevant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, this book is just so good. I'm so excited to be enjoying an X-Men book. Me too. Yeah, it feels like a real proper return for the team, and I've been really enjoying it, and I uh, I just can't I can't wait for the next issue every week. You know, I'm yep. so excited yep. to see what happens next and where this all goes and like what what we're what we're barreling toward because it feels big and yeah hickman knows how to land it so i'm confident it's going to be good um and even still like isn't he in charge of the um the relaunch the x-men titles going forward yeah yep so it's it's very possible that there is more coming after this too yeah and like for once the future of the x-men seems bright again you know, and like yeah. I, I'm super excited to be a part of it and be on it at the ground level and be this excited because I think I'm actually going to want to read the books that spin out of this. Yeah, yeah, I was very. Uh, I thought I felt that people were being very hyperbolic about that. I, I get it. Yeah, right. Now you read <laughs> it, and you're like, it. oh fuck, it. it's actually that <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. Um. That being said, uh, I I feel like to to take it back to the book real quick. Um. Yeah, I feel like right now, like, Hickman's on a fucking roll with this shit. And you know that there was that scene where, like, Emma Frost just rolls in to, like, claim Sabretooth. And she's got that fucking badass white coat and she's wearing sunglasses. I feel like that is what Hickman did, right? Where they're like, listen, man, you got to stay. We can't lose you. What can we give you? And he's like, give me the keys to the X-Men. And they're like, all right. And he just walks in and he's like, flings his fucking coat off. He's like, I got this shit. <laughs> he, just, he just, he flings his coat off. And at the same time, notebooks fly across the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got to imagine that somewhere in his house, there's uh, like that famous screen cap from Always Sunny of Charlie in the mailroom. Yeah. And he's like all crazy. Yeah. That's, Hickman did that at least once for this. Like, you know it. He's got to have books on books oh. on books. Even I haven't read his stuff uh, like East of West or the Black right, Monday yeah. Murders or, but even just like the Manhattan Projects is next level. 
So, My man does like, deep I think and crazy. This, That's his thing. I think I think this is just his bread and butter. Yeah, so I'm bread I'm really excited to see butter. where this where this next issue lands us because I've been wondering how this mission goes since they introduced the concept of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess we'll see it next issue. House and of X wait. number four. Gonna be a good week for reviews next week. It's been fun, man. Like yeah. having this going. Like we've been doing like reviews every week now, and I'm like, this is fun. I like doing this. Maybe we should do more of this. I think. I think. I think. I think the the cool thing about it is that it's coming out weekly. Yeah, it's it's like a. It feels uh, like a real event. You know, like it's yeah. a moment, and we're a part of it, and it's exciting. Yeah, and I think I think the the trouble with wanting to do it more is that books just don't come out this way. Yeah. Um, okay, well that's it. Those are our reviews of Marvel 1000 and House of X number 3. Please write us an email and tell us what you think of these books. Uh, do you have theories about uh, what's happening in um, it's House House of 10? House of X, Powers of 10. Oh. Colloquially known as Hoxpox. <laughs> Let us know. You can write to us um, at uh, thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we're at thecomicspals. Do all those things. And Instagram. Uh, we, we're on Instagram. Post a lot on Instagram. You see a lot of my stuff on Instagram these days. Uh, at thecomicspals on Instagram. We'll talk to you. We don't care where you write us in. Um, is that it? I think that's it. Oh, yeah, do we have any book. book clubs coming out? Howard the Duck just came out. Yeah, Howard the Duck with our pal Tyler from the Longbox podcast just dropped. Great one. Go check that out. Uh, we already called out Uzumaki's coming up. I know we have another one in September. Don't quite remember. Oh, Silver Surfer Requiem is the next one dropping. So if you're interested in oh. reading along for our next book club, uh, Sean, Phil, and I did a read-through of uh, JMS's Silver Surfer Requiem, part of the Marvel Knights line. Fan. Uh, fantastic book fantastic book mm. spoiler alert uh so you're gonna want to read that one before you get into that conversation because it's a great episode a great read and uh you're gonna want to be all cut up so make sure you go read it short run it's only like six issues or something like that uh come prepared drops at the end of the month end of september yeah uh i guess that would be the end of this month because this comes out on the oh one other plug we got for you is keep your eyes peeled this week for our keystone comic-con videos that we did uh marco and i kind of took the week to get those edited so we'll have interviews uh from the show floor as well as our uh you know patented comics pals vlog uh making an appearance on our youtube channel youtube.com slash comics pals uh later this week so go check that shit out and uh, keep your eyes peeled for more stuff on YouTube. We're going to be uh, getting active there again pretty soon. Uh, we've got some cool stuff in the works. So go give it a subscribe, click the bell, make sure you're ready when all those cool things drop. Marco's got a nice little indie highlights video coming up. And uh, yeah, it's, it's we got some good stuff. Any particular creator highlights, interview highlights? So the indie highlights that um, that Marco did are literally like all of the hottest indie like books and creators that he got to read and talk to at Keystone. So it's a nice little feature on basically all the best indies that were there. Uh, so you can check that out. And um, Sean also got an interview with a friend of the show, Victor Dandridge Jr., who's always a fun person to talk to. 
and uh, we we got him on the hook to come on for uh, maybe a little one on one interview with Sean one of these days. Uh, so we got that on the in the pipeline oh. as well. So keep it, keep your eyes out for that. But like I said, we got lots of cool stuff coming for you guys. Uh, Kale doesn't all even right. know about all, all right because he's been plotting our downfall. I don't. So um, I don't know. I don't know. Dicks. Eyes up. We got cool shit coming out in the next couple months. Twenty twenty is going to be a big uh, year for the Pats. Oh, hopefully it comes sooner than that. Jesus, Lou. Pete, hit us with those plugs. Awesome. So if you want to connect with me... Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry. First of all, thank you for joining us here on another episode of Comics Pals. Uh, it's the new Kale Order. Um, I guess I'm here for it. Uh, if you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about House of X and Powers of Ten. I am loving them. I want to hear your theories and what you're thinking about the book. So come chat with me. Uh, you can also um, get some of my other work over at lootpots.com where I do uh, some of their that their Nintendo content. Um, so if you want to go read some news or reviews, go check that stuff out. I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, the Potscast, as well as our patron-exclusive show, After Dark. Uh, so go check that stuff out where this week we talked about um, the Nindy World event, some new Pokemon stuff, and then on After Dark we talked about my computer woes among other things. Uh, so go check that stuff out if you want some more of me. If you want to get the rest of the gang, you can find Marco at Mr. Marco Animoto on Twitter and Instagram. Phil is at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Sean is at Sean Soapbox on, on Twitter and Instagram only. And Kale, where can they find you? But why would you want to find Sean? He's, his time is gone. He's been dethroned. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T O T O I N T O W. You can find my work in both comics and podcasting at kaleward.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com. Uh, the show that I do with my wife, my wife, has been on, my, has been on a bit of a hiatus uh, because uh, it's hard to record podcasts and travel. I don't know if you've ever done it. It's hard. It's not uh, that so hard. we took a two month. It's hard. Uh, took a two month break for that, but we are gonna record a new one tomorrow, and that should be up at its regular time. So please go have a listen to Gone Global this week, where we will talk about Texas. Oh no! And uh, I guess that's it. Um. Oh, I want to try out this new uh, catchphrase. Are you ready? Hit me. Remember, the pals are the comics we made along the way. Oh my god. Oh, it's terrible.